Hi, I'm Sophie Milliken and welcome to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to serial entrepreneur and investor Laura Morgan. And welcome, Laura Morgan. I'm so excited to be speaking to you, Laura, because I have your book and <laughs> I really enjoyed reading your book a few years back. So I know that you've got loads of really useful advice and, and guidance to share. So Laura is an investor in health and well-being products and, as I've said, has got plenty of, of good stuff to share with us. So first of all, can I just take you back, Laura, a little bit? And can you tell me, did you always know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, yes. I definitely wanted to be an air hostess. I remember those days. And then I wanted to be a golf pro, which is kind of weird, but it's probably typical that I quite like playing with the boys. And then my dad went bankrupt and I needed to get a job. And, you know, my dad had always run, in my memory, his own company. So I had an enterprise background. My mum ran her own English teaching school and we lived in Hong Kong. So enterprise was really normal. But I I didn't think I was going to be. I always thought, you know, aspiring and, and I'm so flipping old, you know, enterprise was not spoken about much you weren't called an entrepreneur you know you were a business founder or you know and it's really I hit the cusp of when I was well before Dragon's Den days but it was the days when you know you wouldn't have dared refer to yourself as an entrepreneur it was kind of a badge of pride that you earned that your colleagues would say god you're enterprising and you think yeah I I quite like that badge but I think it's something you earn. So have you got any sort of funny stories of early on, you know, being an entrepreneur from early on or because you kind of f- fell into it almost, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I mean, my dad went bankrupt and, you know, the, there weren't many funny stories early on because I was faking it till I was making it. And I think that's probably the first key takeaway, which is it's extraordinary that this 23 year old with just a little bit of business experience, um, you know, I started selling when I was 18. It was my only skill set. Um, really gave that 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 ability of selling gave me the confidence that you know if you don't know ask and constantly be on this path of learning because I had had the most ridiculous career up to then I'd, I'd sold merchandise and promotional giveaways in Hong Kong I'd then lived in the Middle East and sold Yellow Pages advertising space which was a hell of a baptism and selling in six countries I was very very lucky that I then got to run my own tiny little company while I was running and frankly canoeing around New Zealand selling advertising space off the back of a relationship that I'd built and then I was offered the opportunity basically to sell shower caps for a living and so you know everything that I had done up until then was selling and learning about budget and numbers and doing deals and all the rest of it the kind of finance and the marketing and you know I ran a company with a brand name in the universe but we still made millions of pounds and so I knew nothing about anything and so I guess that's the second thing which is if you can learn to sell, you can sell your way out of trouble. And what's more, you can learn the rest. Mm. I really like what you just said there about if you don't know something to ask. Do you, mm. do you still do that? Oh, yes. If you don't know, ask. And what's more, you know, layer in humility, be the learner, never be arrogant, pack your humility. Yes, you may know, but actually the brain picking exercise might teach you something more. So I'm still faking it. Um, you know, I end up brain picking some brilliant people. I, I called an awesome entrepreneur who scared me the other day. But by having the desire to learn, I'm still learning. And that pays me dividends and gets me shortcuts and accelerates our opportunities. And, you know, you have to put energy into the learning first and foremost, I think. Or else actually, you know, you can't stand still in business. Business will eat you alive. 
So interesting again there, you're talking about always be, be learning and that's, that was one of my later questions, but let, let me come to it now. So in terms of your own development, um, to what extent would you say self-development has played a role in your own success? Enormous amounts, but I'm an idiot. Um, it took me a long time to recognize and realize and value investing in myself was not a ridiculous expense. I mean, I am partly Scottish and very mean and I bootstrapped the hell out of the business. So, you know, I really Pacific starved and I starved for years, but much more importantly, um, it, I, I'm such an idiot. It took me really nine proper years to go and invest in my own personal strategic intelligence and my business now. So I went on a course at Cranfield called business growth development, but you know, I was terrified when I went because I've kind of the upstart in the room I was actually breastfeeding my first child which was quite new for them but I was given permission and in the old you know that was 19 well year 2000 I went on the course but um you know I had no I had a business plan and I did put it in a drawer and, I, and there are some awesome templates today mm. and just to give you the mathematical benefit of self-learning by then I was still reading every book in the WH Smith's business section Right. I was I read every, every time I traveled, I read a book on business and I turned over the corners and pissed my mum off because she never marked books and all that. And then I ripped them out sometimes that really would have wound her up and put them in my team's boxes to say, do you think we should do this? Take photocopies. That's illegal as well. So, you know, break the rules. That's fine. But the truth is, is that that gave us cutting edge information. But what it didn't give us is a really complete plan. So I then spent I got a grant for my learning, which you can get. And I went to Cranfield and I had the most you know, life changing experience because I finally really understood formality of business. And since then, I've had the privilege of going to Stanford and London Business. I've even lectured at London Business School. God knows why they would let me in. But, you know, um, that constant learning underpins everything. This morning, I got up at seven o'clock and I listened to the Global Fit Summit because I'm trying to become an expert in fitness and health and wellness. How do I learn? Listen to the experts. Brilliant. I love that. And, and that was going to be my follow up question around, do you still do that now, even though you're perceived to be very successful? And do you, you know, do you keep learning? I've got, a, I've got a better thing to challenge. Well, perception of success, unfortunately, is very simplistic because kind of people think it's around a bank account. It's actually around happiness. Do what makes you happy. If you can plan in life to do what makes you happy or content. And that's been my life plan since 2004 when I started really life planning. And of course, that might come with sacrifices. You know, along the way, I've had three wonderful children, but they haven't seen their mum as much as others might have seen her. But I captured that in the book, as you've, as you've rightly said. And, and I've accepted that on balance, the sacrifices I have made so far give me the freedom and the choice to continue doing what the bloody hell I like. And, you know, that's a pretty good equation. So for me, freedom, choice, is the most valuable currency in the universe. There's nothing better. I couldn't agree more. I did, a, I did my first um, TEDx talk um, just before lockdown, actually. It came out a few weeks ago. And I was talking about um, the fact that, for me, money equates to freedom to make the choices. Me too. I, I, security. I, I mean, my, because my dad went bankrupt, the security card, mm -hmm. I think, was the kind of, you know, gremlin on my shoulder that was going... You need to bank it, you need to, and, and you know, for the years we, I mean, we had an amazing growth curve, thanks to my amazing team at Pacific, who I will never, ever forget, and I have the privilege of working with today, many of them. Um, and the bottom line is, is that that, whatever drives you, it has to be something much more than money, because money isn't enough. And actually, as you start to accumulate, inverted commas, paper wealth, like an asset in a business, and 
you know, I had 99% of Pacific because I ducked and I dived, but actually that was probably a mistake as well because I might've grown faster with using someone else's capital. And, but you know, you exit at 20.2 million and you have 99%, let me tell you, you're never going to look back, but I, I, you know, maybe I could have done better. And I think that's the kind of driver today, which is why do you work like an idiot? You know, why are you playing? I'm playing with candle packaging because I want to be better and different. And I, I'm relentless and I love it. And, you, and I can't, you know, if we're inventing or we're doing differently, then that's my drug. You can tell that you love it because you, you come alive when you Yeah, talk. I mean, it's... <laughs> and, and I'm playing, you know, I can't ever imagine retiring because I, I, I love... I love the chase of things and the excitement that it brings. And I often feel that although I probably, well, I know that I work a lot more hours than other people, it often doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it. And so I don't- Yeah, you're in your playground, aren't you? Absolutely. Mm. So that brings me on to a key topic in the book, which is about work-life balance. And I get really annoyed that women always get asked about that because I don't see men getting asked about that or not in the same way. And in the book, I talk about the fact that I don't think work-life balance exists. And actually, my view is that you can only ever prioritize a couple of things at one time. You can't, ha you can't really have it all in the sense of being able to do everything at, at one time. What's, what's your view on that? Well, I'm laughing because here in front of you, I have the most stupid title piece of paper called Find Your Balance. And I don't even agree with it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, years ago, and I've never, you know, I mean, you can see my scribbles. I never stick to anything, but I do stick to the fact that if, if this is my life, this circle, and I'm engaged, what I've worked out, this is my balance. If I'm spending time building businesses and doing in the shaded area, the family has to fit into the other stuff, as does fitness and the dogs and various other bits and pieces like you know being a civilized human being and putting back into society that's my balance right now your balance might be completely different i just think we've got to be more honest about you can't do it all and have it all and be perfect you've just got to be honest with yourself and then you're going to look for this contentment and since i've really understood that i'm not playing the guilt card i mean i've traveled all over the world i built this absolutely magnificent brand because it's portable aromatherapy and you place it on your pulse points and here I am selling to you. But the point is, is that this breathing tool, this powerful positive aroma was the bit I needed. And in those days it was in an oil format, but I would literally turn into bloody Wonder Woman phoning the children and going, how was school today? And it's hard, right? And I never had a balance. I was knackered. I felt like chewed string most of the time, but that is enterprise. And if you don't want to play that game, you ain't going to make 20 million quid. It's so choice, isn't it? It's, it's a choice. Absolutely a choice. And now you know, your kids are a bit older. Have, have you ever had any conversations with them around how that felt for them as they were younger? What, what they yeah, I mean, really, really interestingly about, I don't know, two, three years ago, my very bright, very academic, quite scary 21 year old. So I guess she was younger, 18 or something reduced me to tears because she had kind of had an epiphany I think that you know the reason we have a, a swimming pool and a tennis court if you like or we live in heaven on earth and I feel more deeply privileged today about you know the isolation that some people are living in oh, sure. um, is because of the sacrifices that I made on her behalf mm. but I I was always driven because my goal was to be able to afford choice choice to send my children to the best schools that was bull by the way because I think the education system's broken. So you, you think you want something, you then earn it, 
and it's not necessarily as you perceived it. So you learn lessons on the way. But yeah, Katie reduced me to tears because she, you know, she's now got a mum that can help her with her network, who's in business, who's kind of different. And I, interestingly enough, I think I'm very lucky that I've got pretty grounded children. But that's because I'm also the nastiest mother in the world, apparently. As in, you know, they don't get the best tech and they don't get lots of things that other perhaps more spoiled children would get. Well, that's to do with your values rather than cash, isn't it? So that's Absolutely. But, you know, how do you teach someone your priorities? I've got my 18-year-old's doing volunteering. Is she 19, actually? I forget. <laughs> but she's doing NHS volunteering at the moment and learning lessons about the people that come and go from pharmacies mm. and manners and all sorts of things, right? We learn stuff. They've all worked down the pub and, you know, you've got to serve at tables to understand the difference about behavior and those things will stand them in good stead as they come across quirky and awkward situations as they grow. Mm, no, I love that. That's great. So when, if you were to sort of go, go back to sort of the Pacific days, did you set yourself specific goals? Always. So Endlessly. Goals? Targets. And what did you do when you hit those goals? Well, I'm quite well known for saying that, you know, in the early days, I didn't have much money. So I would literally be, and apologies to James, who's in the room, but I would literally be, you know, lying on a beautician's couch, getting my legs waxed. And that was a reward for selling, oh, for making targets, because, you know, it was, God, it's probably about 15 quid in those days or something. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't, you know, but to me, that was reward. I mean, in the same way that I had my first member of staff was a jelly top addict. So I knew to bribe her. I needed to have jelly tots at hand and the best learning that I can give people, you know, if, if there's a listening group that want to really act is don't reward somebody something that you think they want, find out what they want mm -hmm. and then reward them what they've earned kind of thing. You know, there are a couple of things that I dictate with my younger people, which is setting up a pension when they get a raise and, mm -hmm. you know, at the stage where I think they can afford it. But yeah, I mean, we did mad stuff at Pacific and we winged it for years and, I never told a lie, but I, and I never made a promise I, I didn't believe we would keep, but I definitely pushed boundaries, and I think that is enterprise. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think I kind of know, know the answer to this because I've just had a flashback of something that you wrote in your book, but how do you celebrate success? And the reason I'm saying a flashback is because you did something pretty massive with your team. It wasn't my idea. I mean, all the good ideas You're are somebody right. else's ideas, but um, it kind of, well, I began the idea. Let, so when I left, when I finished Cranfield, they said that you needed a BHAG. And I thought, well, what the hell's a BHAG? So again, more learning, but a big, hairy ass goal or ambition. Um, so I literally gathered my team around the first next day back in the office. And I said, right, let's work out a really big goal. Let's do it together. And then let's celebrate success. And we had a brainstorm and a smart ass from the back called Daniel Smith said, why don't you take us all to Barbados? And I said, well, what's the deal? <laughs> And they kind of said, well, what about if we make a million pounds of profit? Now, at that point, we were making about £670,000 of profit a year. And within the next 12-month period, we made the million pounds. So I know for a fact that all of them drank the menu of drinks at the place we went to in Barbados. But I have to say that it, it taught me, you know, about that thing of joint rewarding. And it's something that we're working on again now that the businesses that I invest in today have momentum. We want to celebrate and reward people according to the effort they put in. I love it. Uh, so do you always take that time then to celebrate success and to just no I'm rubbish at it and I'm thing. relentless and I like you know I, I need to improve in that area and it, it you know it's it swings around about so, you know business 
people will always assume that because you've had one successful business, you, you know, it's easy to have the next. Well, it's not, it's easy to fail mm. and it's a lot easier to fail. And many people fail and many people don't come out the other side. And we, you know, 56% of businesses set up in their first three years, never make it to year four. Mm-hmm. And then of those that are left, I think it's some amazing statistic, like 50% more failed by the time they're in year five. Yeah, yeah. The statistics are horrific. So Yeah, I, I remember we had a big celebration when we were five based at... Yeah, and so you should. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. So um, just a couple more questions then. Um, who, who would you say have been your role models throughout your career? I've kind of, I mean, you know, my parents were unbelievable. They taught us old fashioned values. And, you know, for that, I'll always be grateful. Like if you look after the pennies, the pounds will look after themselves. And if at first you don't succeed, try again. And all the classics, all the classics, right. I can, I'm, I can bore you witless, but actually they're really important. But then in terms of inspiration, I think one of the most important things that I would share with perhaps listeners is the kind of mentorship, the reach out and get someone you like and respect the, learn from a marketeer if you need to know marketing, learn from a people person if you need to know human remains, um, human resources, I should say, but you know, at the moment it's a bit of remains. Um, you know, reach out to the real experts that you can relate to. It's like your accountant and your lawyer are paid by you and they live by what you earn. So interview them rigorously and select wisely someone you really believe you could sit on a flight to Australia with. If you do not think you can share a seat on an aeroplane with someone to Australia, they shouldn't be your accountant, your banker or your lawyer because they're boring enough as it is, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but they're really, that's really solid advice. You know, and, I, and I say it with a touch of humor, but I'm deadly serious. I've worked with my lawyer for the best part of 20, 24, five years and I, I would put my life in his hands and I trust him implicitly good have you ever had imposter syndrome i didn't even know what it was and when you found so, out what it was of course everybody has it i mean i don't know what i don't know that i'd caught you know somebody's labeled it um in the same way that some stupid woman labeled the glass ceiling because no man would have been as descriptive as that do i have doubt do i am i scared sometimes did i have concerns about some of the lunatic ideas like printing 500,000 sachets and then thinking I'd sell them even though I haven't shown them to anyone but I thought it was a good idea you know the madcap stuff we used to do um and it's not all mad because at the time you know it's it's what feels right it what seems right it's what's going to grow your business so no I don't think I, I, I that's fine it's fine to say well the thing that I would say to your lot is if you think you've got imposter system syndrome, remember this, right? Every time you listen to the imposter, you're going nowhere and you're doing nothing. So the best thing you can do is make a sodding decision and make a mistake fast. Because then you've learned something and then you can make another quick decision and go in another direction and learn fast again. And you might be wrong again. Mm. But so what? Because you're now two steps further and closer to success. Mm. And that's the way I've looked at decision making. And I'm often wrong. But fortunately, I'm sometimes right. I like that. And it's, it's about that fail fast and fail quick. Absolutely. Whatever that saying is, I think that's, that's a good one. Fail and fast and also hire slow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think <laughs> that's uh, very good advice in, indeed. So um, just to, to finish up then, have you got a key piece of advice that either you've had, which has served you well, or just something that you have... Um, that you would want to pass on to somebody else? Yeah, we always. um, 
I mean, I don't have any right to give anyone advice. I think you should learn it from proper academics and grown up people, but. Um, or a grown up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. I haven't quite grown up yet. I, I'm, I'm not ever intending to grow up. I'm, I'm going to be at this for a while, but um, my very strong advice is, is that get your head and your heart around the finances and be rigorously disciplined because if you can't read a balance sheet or a P&L, if you don't know the difference between profit and loss, and most importantly, if you're not costing correctly, you'll fail because you have to cost allocate. So the time that I've gifted you, you know, I could charge you a thousand quid for half an hour or, you know, 5,000 quid for a speech. But the truth is, is that I had to get to the speech, yeah. right? I had to turn up. I had to think about it. I had to think about it and not something else, or I had to be ready and you know, I had to do something that wasn't necessarily going in one direction, but was the chosen direction. And maybe, you know, hopefully there's an upside because I absolutely, you know, believe in giving back to the society that has looked after me so well. I also, you know, you can't sell a mindful well-being brand if you really don't give a toss about other people. Right. I am centered because I want to live and breathe the fact that you do well mindfully and you've got to get mind controlled and you've got to be able to get you know, a breath that gives you the confidence. And so, you know, I, but I, I think if you don't get your finances right, your business will fail. It doesn't matter how clever you are, how engaging, what a good salesperson you are. If you don't know where your numbers and your cash is, you're toast. Yep. I think that's, uh, that's very good advice. Well, thanks for, for taking the time to talk to me, Lara. I love hearing you speak. I love your direct approach. Uh, it's very you're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator as much as I enjoyed recording it. If this was your first experience of tuning in, go back and listen to previous episodes as there are some brilliant ones. Please do go and check those out. Hope to catch you next time. 